um, as, as we uh, think through Psalm 13. I have been pastor at Hope Baptist Church down in Galloway for the past two years. Uh, we're coming in on that this fall in October. And uh, part of the work there is revitalization. Similarly, uh, Matt's coming here and is trying to lead you guys to the next level as well. Uh, we started, I started a little bit smaller than Matt did. I started with 12 and we're around 25. So he's got to jump on me a little bit there. Uh, but uh, we're enjoying pulpit swapping this morning and trust that he will be a blessing to our church and Lord willing, God will use his word here as well as uh, we study uh, Psalm 13. I work bivocationally similar to Matt as uh, I work in construction. I'm actually transitioning over to be working for London City Schools. And uh, so that's one of the things that Matt and I have had the opportunity to encourage each other in as we both work bivocationally and try to balance both church life and family life and providing for our families uh, it's a wonderful balance to try and strike there. Psalm 13 is where we're going to find ourselves this morning as uh, we are looking at your series of Summer in the Psalms. And this one is a short one. You'll notice there's only six verses here. But I think David is going to strike at a question that we can all sympathize with. He starts out, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? Having sorrow in my heart daily, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Father, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, that your spirit would guide us into all truth, that your son would be exalted, and as we consider the painfulness that life often brings on us, that our focus and our affections would be directed uh, towards our Heavenly Father. We pray that you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Why is it that some Christians seem to never struggle, and then there's other Christians that never seem to stop struggling, right? Uh, some Christians that always are in some form of suffering, or trials, or, or some difficulty, and, and then others that just set and seem to never have pain at all, Right? Uh, you walk into somebody's house and you see that wonderful Hobby Lobby sign of thankful, grateful, blessed, right? And you're like, I'm really sure that that's not actually what happens in their day-to-day, -day, right? Like, that's not in our house. Uh, that's not what my life looks like, and I'm pretty sure their life doesn't look like it either. I'm sure many of us today could agree uh, that we've had times where we agree with David's opening question, right? David's opening question of, how long, oh Lord, how long is this going to keep going on? How long am I going to continue to struggle with sin? How long am I going to continue to have this pain in my heart? 
How long am I going to continue to pray for this loved one? How long do I have to keep persevering? And we join David as he asks this question here in Psalm 13. It's a painful question that he starts off with here. And we could ask, does it feel like this when we have the same thoughts, right? As we face difficulty in our lives, as, as we see David describe this, he describes it as, the Lord seems to have forgotten me. He seems to have hidden his face from me. I'm taking counsel in myself because the Lord's clearly abandoned me. At least that's what it feels like. His fear and anxiety are building up within him. His mind feels like it's agony every day to just keep pushing through. His enemies seem to dominate over him continually. Uh, The psalmist echoes these kind of thoughts in Psalm 73, which Rick shared with you guys. As he looks at this thought of why do evil men prosper and and why is everyone who lives wickedly abounding around me? I'm just trying to serve God. I'm trying to live a life that God would want me to live. And yet for some reason, everyone seems to be succeeding except me. (laughs) Right? I'm trying my best to live for God. And yet... Why am I not being blessed? I'm sure several of us have had circumstances or news that have left us shaken. And our faith was struggling as we see David here. Uh, Perhaps it's on top of an already full plate, right? That's normally when those kind of things come in. Uh, You have a, a situation strikes in your life and my plate's already full. I don't have time to deal with this on top of that. Maybe it's a chronic health problems that you deal with every day or a prodigal child that weighs on your heart and mind continually. Uh, a struggling marriage that seems like week in and week out you're on the verge of just breaking in part pieces. Maybe you got troubling news from the doctor. And if our own personal struggles weren't enough, we've got a broken, fallen world around us that fails us every single day, right? As we look around us, I've got my own problems, but then I've got to deal with the problems of the fallen world around me as well that inundate my life. And so when Pastor Matt asked me, Uh, what psalm I was picking, I gladly picked Psalm 13 because this is very real to our everyday lives. I might be a little bit young compared to some of you guys, um, but I have faced a few circumstances that, that God's brought into our lives that push you to the ground. It's, it's not one of those things where you get to choose how, uh, how and when this is going to happen. No, I remember very clearly after uh, the past two years, when I was 15 years old, in the past two years, my grandparents had passed away. And the end of January, February of 2009, my father sitting me down with my older, uh, with the brother right beneath me. I come from a family of four boys. 
and letting us know that he has stage three cancer and the doctors don't think that he's gonna last six months. That's a lot to take in as a 15 year old, right? That all of a sudden you might be the head of the house within the next six months. I remember last fall when Sarah and I got the call uh, from her brother that the hospital was gonna be pulling the plug on my father-in-law, right? That's, that's really difficult, especially when you have littles to try and explain where grandpa's going. The cries of this psalm aren't just dusty words in an ancient book. They describe the day in and day out authentic cries of someone living in a broken world that is failing them every single day. And when we look at David and we, we, we look at what he's crying out here, if we're not coloring that with some of our own experiences, we really just see it as like, David, come on. You think God's abandoned you, but he hasn't, right? <laughs> David doesn't have that promise. That promise is in the New Testament, that I will never leave you nor forsake you. David's trusting against reality that it feels like God has forsaken me. It, it feels like I can't go on. It feels like I'm playing hide and seek with God and he's so far away, he won't even talk to me. I'm taking counsel in my own soul. We see Elijah has similar thoughts when he flees for his life from Jezebel in 1 Kings 18 and 19. So much so that he just says, God, just take my life now. It's not worth continuing to push through on this. I can't keep persevering. I'm tired of it. Paul echoes these cries in Romans 8, verse 22 through 25. Uh, he puts it this way. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, he's talking about believers here, we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we are saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who, uh, for why does one still hope if he still sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Uh, that's what Paul's driving towards in the New Testament. Here we see David driving towards that in Psalm 13. That we're saved towards a hope that this isn't the end. But this isn't supposed to be my best life now, right? This isn't the dream that I'm living for. And so we ask this question, how long? <coughs> Verse 3 and 4. We see this struggling in his suffering here. As he says, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. As we think about the struggle of suffering, we are faced with my current situation and yet this reality that we know God hasn't abandoned us. Phil, would it be possible to get a cup of water or a bottle or a canteen, something that holds water? I am parched. <laughs> 
But we simply, uh, we're passing through and looking forward to another world. We're looking forward to a, a new heaven and a new earth that gets rid of all the sin. All the brokenness that we see around us will be destroyed and we're living free from sin at last with our Savior for eternity. But that's in the future. And that's the struggle of suffering now. Is that we, we want it to be over now. We want to see Jesus. And we're persevering now to see what we only hope for in faith. That's what Paul is reminding us of. You have hope because it's something you haven't seen yet. It's not realized in your life. We're looking forward to that. We're hoping for that. <coughs> Paul Tripp words it this way, that everything in this fallen world will fail you at some time in some way, but Jesus will never fail you. Thank you, my friend. And the problem is that truth that we struggle with is that David knows his hope isn't in this world. The problem is, is that his hope is still shaken. And so as, as we think about this, that everything in my world is going to fail me, but Jesus will never fail me. Okay, I know this truth intellectually, but my reality right now doesn't seem to, seem to back that up. The reality right now is that I'm wondering how long do I have to continue to wait on the Lord? How long do I have to continue to suffer and struggle here? And David prays not only his cries of desperation, but he prays that God would help him remain steadfast in this hope in God. Help me. Consider and hear me. Enlighten my eyes. Show me. Show me that you're still here with me. Otherwise, my enemies can rejoice because David is struggling. And he realizes his defeat seems much closer than he wants to admit. One of the reasons that this psalm is so helpful is that David doesn't tell us his problem goes away. We just read through those verses a little bit ago. Did you see where David said, oh, and then the Lord came through and everything worked out and it was awesome? Right? None of that happened. Uh, nowhere do we see in the psalm, my life turned around and we had a Job moment, right? And then God gave me like 20 times everything I had and it was fantastic and now I'm living in abundance. That blessing I was waiting for came through. Now I'm really grateful and thankful and blessed. My life's awesome now. It was worth going through that. No. No. Instead, look at what David does. He chooses to trust in God's mercy. He chooses that against what I am living in, against the reality that I am confronting on a regular basis, I'm going to choose to trust in God's mercy. We see this as he says in verse 5, but I have trusted in your mercy, right? I, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation, and I will sing to the Lord. <coughs> David, how in the world are you doing that? Did, did you read the thoughts that you just gave us? Like, the Lord's abandoned you. He's not nearby. You're waiting forever. 
God's not helping you, how in the world are you doing that? You think about it for somebody who's lost a loved one. The problem doesn't go away, right? You think about somebody who's been diagnosed with terminal illness. The problem doesn't go away. Chronic pain doesn't go away. My life circumstances don't always resolve. We don't always have that Job kind of moment, that Joseph kind of moment, where I'm delivered from prison and put up in a position of power and authority and prominence, right? Those don't always happen in our lives. Yet we display the wonderful grace of God in our lives as our lives aren't picture perfect. That's where God's grace comes through. Not, not when my life has everything all put together and everything's just flowing amazingly, but when my life's not picture perfect. We talk about this in, in our church in regards to evangelism. This might be a shock to you, but you don't need to have a church card in a church tract every time you do evangelism. That might shock some of you. Um, but you can just use words. Uh, like out of your mouth, from your brain, that didn't come from a three-by-five card of life questions that you wrote down beforehand. Um, what do you talk about when you talk to people? You talk about life, right? Whether it's your neighbors, whether it's your coworkers, you talk about life. We typically also talk about what we have in common with people. So if we both enjoy a sports team or an activity or a hobby or something like that, a restaurant, a type of food, the list goes on. Genre of music, whatever. We talk about the things that we have in common. And then we might even bring up, just for grins and giggles, some fun stuff that I'm trying, right, at, the, at this time. You know what's something that we all have in common? I know I have it in common with all of you guys, suffering. We all have suffering in common. Now, that's probably not going to be your best leading topic in conversation, just as a preface. Um, but we all have suffering in common. And guess what? As you get to know people, as you get to minister in their lives, you're stepping into their world and getting to know what's going on in their life, suffering's going to come up. And what's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever suffering? Nothing. We both suffer the same things. We both live in the same broken world. We both have the same problems. What's different? I have a savior and I have a hope that my unbelieving friend doesn't have, right? So, so as we're thinking about suffering, as we're thinking about Psalm 13 and where David's going with this, A believer suffers the same way as an unbeliever, except we have a different focus and a different hope. We have a Savior. We, we have something to look forward to. That unbeliever doesn't have anything. The only thing they're looking forward to is it's going to be over someday. Well, that's, that's really encouraging. I'm just looking forward to dying and getting it all done. No, the Bible's full of suffering people. So much that Jesus said... <coughs> In order to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross, an instrument of suffering and death, and follow me. 
I'm sorry. The cooler weather with drainage does not uh, not help this. Anyway, look, Paul demonstrates this even in his life as we look at Paul's suffering and God reminding him that my grace is made perfect in your weakness. Now, I wish that it wasn't that way, but that is how God has chosen to demonstrate his grace in our lives is that through suffering, he is able to shine the brightest. His, his strength, his grace, his mercy is seen best in our lives when we are struggling. So if we have this painful question and we have this struggle with suffering, what is this hope of the future that we're to look towards? Why cry out to God if that doesn't change my problem? Why is David crying out to God when clearly we don't see a resolution to his problem? What's the point? Cool, you just went over in the corner and just yelled everything that was in your mind out to God If God exists, cool for you. It's just a coping mechanism. If nothing changed, then what's the point? We could easily see that as one of the questions to ask. Why should I cry out to God if that doesn't change my circumstance? It doesn't change the dead relative that I lost. It doesn't change the the chronic pain that I have. It doesn't change the terminal illness or anything else that we want to throw in there. The reason why is because Jesus is the only one, the only one who actually understands what you're going through. See, a lot of other people can go through similar circumstances and kind of relate to what you're going through, but Jesus actually knows what you're going through. That's why he's your sympathetic high priest in Hebrews 4. He knows what you're going through. When I sat down with my mother-in-law, we weren't sitting, we were walking. When I was walking with my mother-in-law after she lost my father-in-law, that was her question. I, I don't know what to do. Like, how, how do I navigate all the emotions, the grief, the loss, the suffering? Like, how do I move on with life? Right? How do I keep going on? Well, you have to run to Jesus. He's the only one. You can call your friends all day long, and they will gladly listen to you, but they can't help you. They might point you to some good stuff in the Bible. Jesus is the only one who knows what you're going through, who actually cares about what you're going through, and he's faced the separation from the Father on the cross. He's carried the weight of your sin on the cross. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to suffer pain, physically and spiritually. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to have somebody who he's poured his life into walk away from everything and betray him, right? He knows all those different things. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see him repeatedly talking to people, trying to explain, hey, I'm Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one you've been expecting And nobody believes him. Nobody believes him. Read through the Gospel of John over and over and over again. Nobody believes him. The crowd doesn't believe him. The disciples are like, what's that again, Lord? Like, they sit down for the Passover dinner. Jesus is hours away from his death. And they still don't get it. 
Jesus is the only one who cares about your deepest pain and understands it. Alistair Begg put it this way. I I heard it in one of his messages. He said, do you ever get up in the morning and say, I don't think I'm going to make it through this day. I have days like that. I'm sure you have days like that. Do you ever find yourself looking at circumstances and just deciding they're of such an overwhelming nature that I just don't think I have it in you? I don't have it in me to get through this, right? We face those circumstances all the time. And the the answer is that you probably don't have it in you, nor do I. And God, in his amazing mercy, brings us into difficulties and darkness and overwhelms us. Yes, God overwhelms you and he overwhelms me with suffering all the time because he knows that the discovery of his strength is in the honest acceptance of our weakness. If we're not confronted with the fact that I can't do this, we'll never run to God. We will always try to be our own savior. The pain and darkness of suffering, it breaks us. And for those of us who try to buckle down and get through it, I'm the oldest of four boys. I'm used to that. You just buckle down, grit your teeth, and get through it. And then for others of us that we have day to day where we're just like, I don't think I can get through today. Like today is just too hard, right? I need another vacation from my vacation. That ultimate choice of how I endure all this and who I will trust to get me through faces us dead on when we're confronted with, I can't get through this. And so it's in our weakness that we see that this life is too hard. That I will face things that are too hard for me. It's in this life that I find myself crying out, Why? Why, God? Why do I have to face this? How long do I have to endure this? I don't think I can go on. That's what David's crying out. And and sometimes, just being honest, sometimes in church, it's really easy to pretend like our lives don't have those problems. But we clearly do. I mean, David's just one example of hundreds of people in the Bible that face suffering. <coughs> and so, while God doesn't always answer the question, why, we're reminded of the promise that God will lead us. And his right hand will uphold us. And that's what David rests in here in these last two verses. I've trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice. Notice that he's looking forward to this. I have trusted in your mercy. I shall rejoice. I will sing. Why? Because he has dealt bountifully with me. Listen, right now, I might not be able to rejoice the way that I should. Right now, I might not be able to trust in God the way that I should. But I'm looking forward to the day when I can look back and say that God has been gracious. He's dealt bountifully with me. And I trusted him even though it didn't feel like I could. And as a result, he has delivered me. He's been my salvation.
What are some of the takeaways from this? Well, first of all, I think uh, thinking through this the way David Pallison has worded it, there's rarely Christian reflection on truly broken lives. We leave it to the world to give us an explanation for extreme cases of mental disorder or abuse or addiction, as though the transformation that God is up to applies to easy cases and not to the hard. It's a real problem when the gospel is only good enough for the little stuff. If we're not willing to get nitty-gritty and talk about the real-life problems that we face on a regular basis and say, yes, the gospel's good enough for it, it's not too big for God to handle, and while I don't have all the answers, I know I can trust God. If we can't do that on a regular basis and be willing to go deep into the darkness of our lives with the gospel, then what is the point? It's just for the little stuff. It's just to help us get through some of the things that we face in this life. David leads us in a wonderful example of willingly admitting that life is many times very hard and sometimes really, really painful. But as we serve a big God, we don't have to sit here in anxiety and agony wondering if God is going to deliver me from this. We don't have to wonder if God cares about us. Because we serve a big God who's not only ruling over the circumstances of your life, but he's also walking with you through them, even when he feels like he's totally abandoned you. Thirdly, it's easy in the darkness to see that God is mean or uncaring or cruel. David clearly states that. This is a wonderful example of what biblical lament would look like. Saying, God, you really seem to not care about my life right now. I'm really wondering if you care at all where you've been the past couple months. My life sucks. I'm sure you've seen that, but you just don't really seem to care a whole lot. That's what David's saying. And that might seem a little too open and vulnerable, but God is saying, listen, I'm putting you through this for a reason, so that you can come to me, so I can be your strength. God tru- or David trusts that God is going to be bountiful in his mercy, his love, and in his grace. And that God will save him in the end. That's what he looks forward to. And so that we have to remind ourselves that even in the darkest times of our life, we have to look for where God is being good and gracious. Because otherwise we will focus on how God is being cruel and uncaring. We'll focus on, God doesn't love me right now. Why would he do this? Why would he, my plate's already full. I can't take anything else. He knows that. Why is he doing this to me right now? And the reality is, is that our understanding of God and the Bible, our systems of theology, they all mean nothing if we never apply them to our lives. And our lives are messy 
just like David's life is messy. So it's not just the easy parts where it makes God look good and we look good and we can tell the world, hey, guess what? My God's awesome. He's given me all this stuff. I'm prosperous. I'm doing great things. Don't you just love the success of my God showering on me? No. Our theology is also for the painful, sinful, and complicated parts of our lives. And if we're not willing to see that from David here, in just a quick, short psalm, then what is the point of believing in God at all? If you're going to face the same suffering as the unbeliever next to you, but you're not willing to apply your theology and understanding of God to your suffering, then there's no point. Because it's in your suffering that your theology matters. It's in the midst of that darkness in your life that who you understand God to be and who you understand yourself to be really, really shines through. And if I don't believe in a God that cares about me, that can deliver me, that will one day save me, that hope of the future of saying this isn't the end, that I'm not living for this world. I'm looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth a sin-free world, and living with my God and my Savior for all of eternity. That's what I'm looking forward to. So come what may, I don't care what it is now, that's what I'm living for. If we don't have that hope, if that doesn't become the bottom line for us, this is where I plant myself, it's my anchor, I don't go past here. I will always trust in God. I will sing through the darkness. Because I know that this is not the end. This isn't supposed to be the dream life. That that's actually going to happen in the future when I see my Savior face to face. That is the truth that we see represented here in David's prayer. Father, I've echoed these thoughts many times and I thank you for listening to me and I pray that as these Dear people have also faced suffering. It's hard for us to say thank you for suffering. It's hard to say thank you when it feels like things are being taken away. And we look back and we wish that those things weren't taken away. Father, I pray that you would help us. This is not something that naturally comes from us to be rejoicing and trusting and seeing in darkness. But as we reflect on our broken lives and our broken world, I pray that you would help us through the power of your Spirit to keep in the forefront of our minds the goodness and graciousness of our King who reigns over our lives in perfect justice, who has a plan to our suffering, and that is designing this for our good and for your glory. I pray that you'd help us to hold fast to that future hope of looking forward to the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth, where we don't have to suffer any more pain. And I pray that as We live our lives now in the midst of this broken suffering that you would help us to 
point others to the hope that we have. That we would tell our unsaved family and friends about the hope that we have, even though we suffer just like they do. It's for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.